today on Ag News Daily. Got millions of acres of uh, susceptible production uh, that's going to go through a couple of winter storms this week, and I think it's definitely a concern of the market. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here on this Monday, the start of the Thanksgiving week, joined as always by Ms. Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing today? I am pretty good, Mike. How are you? I am fantastic. I tell you what, though, I am absolutely stuffed. As our listeners are aware, mm-hmm. I work for the Zaner Ag Hedge Team over here in Chicago, and the man whose name is on the door, Mr. Matt Zaner, made a New Mexico chili for lunch for all of us today, and it had five pounds of pork shoulder. Oh, in it. wow. Yes, and it was so delicious, and I've eaten like six bowls of it, and I cannot move from my chair. Oh, actually, since you're talking about food, and Thanksgiving is this week, I was at the gym this morning, and so we were doing some pop quizzes on, you know, like Thanksgiving food. Mike, what's your guess for the average calorie intake of the Thanksgiving meal per person? Per person, I'm going to guess the average caloric intake is 3,200 calories. Ooh, you're really close. It's about 3,000. I'll be darned. Which is equal to one pound of fat. Equal to one pound of what? That's not bad then. That seems perfectly reasonable. I guess I should go for (laughs) 5,000. Yeah, except that's more caloric intake than most people have like over the span of probably two days. Yeah, yeah, those people just aren't trying hard enough. Oh, okay. The whole point of Thanksgiving is to go into a food coma. Mm. Yeah, I'm trying to skip that this year. No, that's what it's about. That's what it's for. Well. If you don't go into a food coma, you hate America, Delaney. That, no, that's absolutely not true. I think it is. Well. If, if that final piece of pecan pie doesn't cause your belt to explode, you're not doing Thanksgiving right. I'm actually a pumpkin pie person, not pecan. Oh, okay. You know what? I've never been a huge pumpkin pie person, but I was with the South Dakota Farm Bureau this past weekend, and we had a pumpkin pie with one of our dinners, and it it pulled me over. I'd forgotten how much I like them with a lot of whipped cream. Oh, so yeah. Yours is mostly just whipped cream then in that case. Well, I get, you know, a good half inch of whipped cream, you know, on the top of Mm -hmm. a two-inch tall piece of pie, and that's delicious. Yeah, it is delicious. Oh, boy. So 3,000 calories. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. But, well, you know, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, one thing that uh, the FDA as well as the CDC is not advising you eat this year at your Thanksgiving meal is, again, I think this comes to no shock to anybody, but romaine lettuce is again on consumer alerts, potentially recalled going to be recalled because of an E. coli outbreak in California. So the FDA is just saying, just probably avoid eating romaine at this year's Thanksgiving festivities. That's right. Just stick to eating parts of animals. Yes. Your turkeys, your prime ribs. Are you a turkey or a prime rib person on Thanksgiving, Delaney? Um, I mean, I've never had prime rib on Thanksgiving, but I'd gladly eat it. I'm not a bit, I mean, like, I'll eat turkey, but it's not like I'm dying to eat turkey. Right, right. Turkey you eat because it's tradition. Exactly. It's, like so good. Right. Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. We've we've alternated at the at the Pearson household between turkey and and prime rib and I I prefer the prime rib, you know, year out of year, but sometimes you got to go with the turkey. Ham is also good too. I'll do a ham on Thanksgiving too. Oh, yeah. I don't think I've ever had ham for Thanksgiving, but I totally would. I like it when you got the option to have two meats cuz I'd rather just eat meat, honestly. 
Well, for sure. That's what it's all about. Speaking <laughs> of eating meat, Delaney, that is a great segue because we got word out today the USDA has clarified a report or a rule for export reports. From now on, commodity exporters must disclose the sales of hog carcasses. Previously, they only had to disclose the sales of muscle cuts, and they didn't do a great job defining what a muscle cut was. So as exports to China have accelerated, exporters have been wondering, do we need to report this or not? And there was a lot of concern that perhaps we weren't getting accurate data about how much pork was in fact being sent to China. So now the USDA said, okay, if you sell any part of a pig, you got to report it, and uh, this should help us get pretty clear data on exactly how much tonnage we are shipping over to China, which you know could be bullish as we anticipate that the export number to climb. And speaking of things that were bullish, I'm not really sure this was bullish, but yeah, on Friday we had the cattle on feed report and trade estimates for placed cattle or placements was a huge range, probably one of the biggest we've ever seen. And so the Actual reported placements as of Friday came in lower than the highest end of the trade range, which seemed to help cattle out today. But USDA placed about 110% cattle as of October 1st, and, or excuse me, November 1st, and on feed was about 101%. Marketed was about 99%. So seeing some huge cattle numbers hit the pipeline, but not as big as what some of the trade was expecting. Exactly. I think that's the name of the game. We, we A, came in less than I think the average expectation on placements, and B, Delaney, you mentioned the huge range of guesses. Nobody really had any clue as to how big the placement number was going to be heading into Friday's report, and so now at least we've got some clarity. And the trade certainly reacted to that today. We'll get to that when we discuss the markets here in just a little bit. But both live and feeder cattle were up significantly on the day, though they did close well off their highs. I've got another piece of news here while we are talking about, uh, well, while I guess I was talking about USDA corrections. Um, two sales reports last week were flash sales reported on uh, towards the end of part of last week, initially USDA said exporters sold 132,000 tons of corn, and they'd sold 191,000 tons of corn on uh, November 19th. Well, turns out it wasn't corn that was sold; it was soybeans, both of which went to unknown destinations, likely China. Uh, that was reported very late in the day. Uh, in fact, just about 45 minutes ago, here at about uh, 12:45, and didn't really do anything to move the markets, but it is nice to see those soybeans continuing to move offshore, lady. You know what? Actually, this is a question I've always wanted to ask, and now that you're in Chicago, maybe you can answer it a little better for me, but when they, why do they ever even say unknown destinations? Why aren't we forced to see who that buyer is? I think they give them the option. I think they get mm. the, the choice to say whether or not they want to be reported or not. That seems strange. Well, you know, I think the idea is, as long as we know that beans are being sold, it, from a market perspective, it doesn't matter to whom they are going. All that matters is that the beans are moving. It shouldn't matter, but I think it does matter. Well, it certainly gives us more clarity. You know, right. it, it shines a light on who out there is buying, especially when we always suspect it to be China mm -hmm. as the unknown destination. Because Canada and Mexico, they usually report Canada or Mexico if they're buying our, our beans are born. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Hmm. Okay. 
speaking of Canada, Delaney, I've got to bring this up since we just touched on our neighbor to the north, America's hat up there. Um, there has been a long strike going on at Canadian National Railway Company, and it's getting to the point now where a big fertilizer company, Nutrien, in fact, is, uh, is looking at cutting back on production because they're just not able to get their inputs they need to produce fertilizer. And grain exporters up in Canada are warning that they are going to have to miss shipments. There are currently 35 boats waiting on the West Coast to load grain shipments. And with this standstill on the railroad, the, uh, the grain just isn't going to get there to get off the coast. It doesn't sound like that'll happen. No, and uh, both grain companies and fertilizer companies have come together to ask the government to jump in since... Uh, the Canadian National Railway is, of course, national, and uh, the government has said no. They are going to let collective bargaining work. They are going to let the striking conductors and its conductors and one other group. Maybe like just engineers? Workers. Yeah, I think so. Let's see. Striking conductors and yard workers. So folks that run the switches in the rail yards are demanding improved working conditions, including worker breaks, rest breaks. And the government has just said, we're going to stand out of this thing. It's been going on for seven days, and we are going to let collective bargaining do its thing. All right. Well, switching tracks just a little bit. Did you like that one, switching tracks, Mike? Aha, uh -huh. I didn't catch mm. it right away. I'm glad you brought it up. So switching tracks to uh, the trade front and what's going on in D.C., or really lack of what's going on in D.C. this week because we are seeing Congress on their Thanksgiving recess. President Trump again kind of took shots at Nancy Pelosi over the weekend and saying that House Democrats are basically leaving NAFTA and he called it, quote, dead in the water alongside other legislation. And, you know, I think we hit on this a lot, but I just want to make it known that they're out this week for Thanksgiving recess. I can't remember exactly when they come back, but there are not very many days left in this calendar year uh, when we see a lot of things needing to get done and they continue to do, you know, impeachment things. We continue to see a budget being needed to be adopted for 2020. So I think the point I'm trying to make here is just that there are a lot of other things that are probably going to take priority, and it makes me a little concerned that, that USMCA is probably not going to get done in this calendar year. Yes, Delaney, I'm glad you brought that up. On Saturday, I had the chance to listen, listen to South Dakota's lone state represent, re, representative told you I'm so full of chili, my brain isn't working. Uh, Dusty Johnson is the one representative from South Dakota. He spoke and addressed the South Dakota Farm Bureau, and he said exactly what you're saying. He said right now the House, the leadership is so tied up with impeachment stuff, they're not going to make any moves to get anything else done unless this impeachment thing you know, should come to an end. Um, in the meantime, you're exactly right. USMCA is on the back burner. The budgetary process is on the back burner. All these things are probably going to get pushed into uh, 2020 before we see any real progress. Yeah, unfortunately, but that's just how it's looking to be. So, Yes, indeed. I tell you what, Delaney, I am all out of news. Do you have any other news stories for us? Or should we jump into the markets and start our conversation with our good friend, Matt Bennett? I actually have two Monsanto-related stories that I wanted to just bring to our listeners' attention before we jump over into the markets. And the first is about a lawsuit that we've been watching just a little bit. We mentioned it, I believe, oh, I don't know, a month or two ago on the podcast. A lawsuit going on right now on the Hawaiian island of Maui. And Monsanto, just as of the end of last week, pleaded guilty to spraying a banned pesticide on Maui and agreed to pay $10.2 million in criminal fines and other payments 
for spraying and illegally storing hazardous waste. And they also admitted to letting their employees enter sprayed fields seven days after spraying, although they knew that the uh, wait period was supposed to be 31 days. And so they let those folks in there really early. And so that was part of the lawsuit, I believe, as well, the settlement. So that's not some great news for Monsanto, and neither is this one. A Chinese national has been indicted in Missouri as of last week also as well for trying to steal proprietary data from Monsanto's climate core. I'm going to butcher the name of this Chinese fellow, but uh, Jiang, I'm going to say is the last name, faces arraignment today. And he was arrested back in 2017, but that's going on right now. And uh, he's going to face up to 100 years in prison and $21 million in fines. Wow, $21 million? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is quite a check to write. It is, and I think it's interesting. So this is, I mean, I, I think I feel comfortable talking about this, but my little brother went to college at the University of Platteville in Wisconsin, so that's obviously a very rural college. And he had a friend who dated this woman from China. And my brother said that she would always buy all of these U.S. products. And then she would, like, write product reviews and, like, ship them back to China. And my little brother is pretty positive she was, like, basically a Chinese technology spy here in the U.S. doing, like, reviews and buying this stuff and shipping it back. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, That's kind of what this whole situation reminds me of. You know, we did have words out of Beijing that they're going to make a move to more justly protect intellectual property in China. And the market definitely regarded that as a positive thing. Maybe that's an indication that China is starting to take this intellectual property Mm. theft seriously. Maybe. Or maybe it's just another uh, trick up their sleeve to, you know, do something else in the background. Sign some kind of a phase one deal. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, we shall see. We could use a phase one deal. It would certainly benefit the soybean market. We didn't get any news on it today. We probably won't get a whole lot of news, as Delaney mentioned, this week, as it is Thanksgiving. But, Delaney, what do you say? Should we jump in and check the markets? Let's do it. Folks, our markets are brought to us today by our friends at agmarket.net. We'll be talking to their Matt Bennett here in just a second, but be sure to check them out. Visit their website and be sure to visit their new app, which we'll be chatting with Matt about. So do stay tuned. All right, we've got mixed trade in grains with corn and beans trading either sides of unchanged. Beans closed lower, corn closed higher. The real screamer today was the wheat market. Both Chicago and Kansas City and Minneapolis, everything was up on the day. Wheat was the big mover. As we take a look at the corn market, December was up a penny on the day at 369 and three quarters. The March contract up one and a half, finished the day at 380 even. As I mentioned, soybeans were lower. The January contract closed four and three quarter cents lower to finish the day at 892 and a quarter. The March down four and a half to finish the day at 906 and three quarters. And over in Chicago, wheat, the December contract up 14 and three quarter cents on the day, closed the day at 530 even. The March up 12 and three quarters to finish at 531 and a half. Looking over at the world of livestock, as mentioned earlier, big strength in the cattle complex today. December live cattle up $1.02.50 at $119.70. February up $1.30, closed the day at $125.15. And feeder cattle, the real movers in the livestock complex today, they did close well off their highs. January feeder cattle finished up $2.67.5 at $141.95. March up $2.72.50 to finish the day at $142.32.5. In lean hogs, we've got 
mixed trade as that December contract dropped 30 cents to close at 60.92.50. February was up 10 cents, finishing the day at 67.75. Looking over at the world of dairy, in Class 3 milk, the November was unchanged at 20.36. December, also unchanged on the day, finished at 18.78. Without further ado, Delaney Howell, let's kick it over to Mr. Matt Bennett from agmarket.net. For today's Market Monday episode, as promised, we're chatting with Mr. Matt Bennett of agmarket.net. Matt, thanks for chatting with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate being on. Matt, before we talk about the markets for today, I wanted to ask about your new app that is launching for agmarket.net. Tell us what that's going to be. Do you have to be an agmarket.net client to use that, or can anybody use it? No, absolutely not. You know, I started working on an app uh, the process of several years, to be honest. But uh, the Bennett app actually is what turned into the Ag Market app. I've had it out for a couple of years. You can get it through the Google Play Store or the App Store. Uh, anyone can subscribe to it. And so most of the guys, basically everyone that deals with us, is, is going to be using the app just because of the simplicity of, you know, figuring out break-evens and it tracks basis and cash prices and there's quite a bit of different things that it does, but uh, most of our guys will use it. But then we've got a lot of guys that actually just use it, uh, you know, and then they'll, they'll contact us if they need some help with it. But it's a really handy tool for producers to kind of get a grip on their, uh, you know, their financial situation whenever it comes to sales and whatnot. Well, and especially with the volatility we're seeing in market prices this year, Matt, we had uh, had an interesting day today in the markets. I want to kick it off by talking about the wheat market, 14, 15 cents higher in the Chicago contracts. What happened today? Was there any news event that really got this market rocking and rolling? Well, the thing is with wheat, you know, we're, we still obviously have a little bit of a uh, issue, in my opinion, as far as the soft red market goes. We're not as cheap as, as, as uh, for instance, Kansas City wheat. I believe, you know, on the export market, there's been a fair amount of interest. And so it's a, it's a good thing to see, not to mention, I think, you know, uh, I would have thought we'd have seen a little bit more support for the corn market. But I think some of the issues, uh, in my opinion, are, uh, first of all, weather-related. Second of all, uh, you know, you look at the corn market and, and you see a fair amount of value there as far as exports are concerned. Hey, they say that our corn's cheaper on the world market. So in my opinion, I think that there's a fair amount of interest in owning feed grains because the idea is that they're fairly cheap, uh, relatively speaking. And Matt, this is maybe a kind of a silly question, but usually corn is leading the wheat market or corn and soybeans are leading wheat higher. Is there any reason for wheat to lead corn or soybeans higher? Well, personally, no, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, I'm not a huge wheat fan, to be perfectly honest with you. I struggle with it. I struggle with trying to figure out the wheat market. You know, you got weather issues here. you got weather issues there. Obviously, uh, people have talked about the weather in Australia, you know, major dryness. Uh, You know, to me, you're always just a, a few weeks away from fixing that shortage, though, because you can grow wheat anywhere in the world. And so, yeah, I mean, typically the wheat market's kind of following along, but we're leading the way today. But you look at it, and the bean market wasn't able to even uh, see higher ground. Corn market wasn't able to do a whole lot. I think that had something to do with, you know, this uh, uh, switching the export sales from uh, corn to beans, the, the two uh, announcements last week. Uh, I, I definitely think that that uh, contributed because corn started out today on a positive tone. And I, to me, why wouldn't it? You know, you're, you've got millions of acres of uh, susceptible production uh, that's going to go through a couple of winter storms this week. And I think it's definitely a concern of the market. 
Well, that's the thing. You would think that this upcoming winter weather, this heavy snow is expected to fall across much of the northern plains, the same areas that have been really struggling with harvest. I would have figured it would have moved the market a little bit more. Is the trade, is the futures market just expecting basis to do the heavy lifting here? You know, that that would be the assumption because that's what's been happening. How many times have we seen a little bit of a excitement, uh, you know, especially with the corn market and then just see it get faded? And that's con- essentially what we saw happen today. But, you know, the basis has been doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Uh, you would think that we would have some convergence in here somewhere. But to me, uh, looking at the basis, I've got to think that uh, there's a little more of a story uh, with especially regionally uh, having issues with a shortage as far as production is concerned. Uh, than maybe what people are giving the credit for. And so I guess for me personally, moving forward, I've got to think that the front months will certainly have a little bit better time than what we've seen lately. I know we haven't had great markets, but I look for a little bit of a rally on front month futures. I don't look for it as far as, uh, you know, some of your deferred contracts. And I think if you get any pop whatsoever in like, for instance, these 20 corn, I would certainly be sitting here waiting to do something with it. Matt, some people may not have caught our discussion on Market to Market a few weeks ago, but you had some really great points I wanted to bring back up on today's podcast and also just looking at maybe how some of that stuff has changed. But when you look at basis, it it continues to be really strong at a time of the year when usually it's not. How do producers go about leveraging that opportunity and why is basis so strong? Is it just the delayed weather? Well, I think that that's what kind of got us jump started. You know, you certainly had a delayed uh, start to harvest, and then you get in here, and I, and, like for instance, in my part of the world, you just don't see any piles of corn on the ground. So obviously, uh, the corn wasn't uh, too awfully good. I don't know that uh, we ever really uh, primed the pump, for instance. And so I, I don't think that originators have been able to get a hold of the corn that they were wanting to get a hold of. And that's exactly the reason why the basis has continued to get better. And so, you know, to answer the question about opportunities, you know, corn going in the bin, I really like having that corn in the bin. I don't have any issue there. But if the corn has to go into the elevator, by all means, I'm going to be rewarding that strong basis. I mean, the market's telling us we really want the corn right now. That's not to say basis won't get the basis won't get better. And that's, that's where I, I want to have that corn in the bin still. I mean, a lot of folks have said, well, I, I think I just want to reward the basis on all my bushels. And the, the real risk there is that these markets would stay in a stagnant tone. Now, I'm not looking for that personally, but if that would happen, basis is going to have to continue to do the heavy lifting. So if a person had pulled all of the corn out of the bin just to uh, reward the basis, uh, and I know that some people have asked if they should do that or not, well, they're really going to be upset with themselves if uh, the futures market would continue to dwindle and then you'd see a basis push because – they're going to be sitting in exactly the wrong spot. Yeah, yeah, that is a great point, Matt Bennett. Now, we hear guys reward the basis on the corn side. How about over on soybeans? A little bit of weakness today, as you mentioned. They could not manage to close higher despite all of the strength in the wheat market. What's happening with the beans, especially since we got those export sales moved into the soybean pile? Right. You would certainly have thought that we would see a little bit of a positive reaction to that news. You know, as far as soybeans are concerned, to answer the first question, the basis, you know, early on in harvest, we were telling producers, uh, basis stunk, first of all, huge carry in the market. Second of all, put the beans in the bin. Uh, I've never been a huge fan of commercial storage, uh, you know, but at the same time, I mean, we were in the commercial storage business, but I'm in a little different uh, role, I guess, now. And my thing is that, you know, I want to make sure I feel confident that I'm going to be able to pay for this pay for the storage. So if I'm either expecting a rally or I see huge carry in the market, then I'll go ahead and, and uh, you know, 
go ahead and put that in commercial storage. That's exactly what we did. And the cool thing is, is the basis has gotten so much better that it's paid for your storage, first of all. Second of all, you know, as the market's dwindled, you've seen the basis continue to get better. And so, you know, in some of these places, for instance, on the river in St. Louis, we've seen a 60-cent moving basis right there, ADM Decatur, close to me in the last uh, six, seven weeks. Uh, we're pushing 50 cents. And so, it's a, you know, to me, if I'm hauling in beans or if I want to go ahead and uh, core bins, I'm going to be uh, hauling those in and, and, and rewarding basis. Basis is telling me that's what I need to do. Same thing as with corn. Now, Matt, basis might have been strong, but soybeans have dropped below $9 or sub $9 here again for the first time in quite some time. What is that telling us about the market and, and why is there that discrepancy between the cash and the futures? And that, that's a good question. We're getting that question, obviously, for corn and beans. But, you know, as far as beans are concerned, I think, you know, you're not having a whole lot of concern uh, as far as South America, uh, as far as South America goes. I think the market is assuming that you're going to have plenty of production. And so, you know, you're going to see world stocks levels stay robust. You know, obviously, there's a lot of issues with people worried about, you know, what's going to go on with the demand situation with ASF. Uh, we're still sitting here trying to figure out, is phase one going to happen? Is it not? Most people feel a little more confident that it's going to happen at this point. But, you know, you would think that uh, coming in over the weekend and uh, people uh, essentially uh, giving some good vibes on phase one, maybe you'd see a little buying there as well, but we're just not seeing it. But, yeah, I just think that there's a comfort level, you know, that you're going to see uh, plenty of production on a world basis, uh, given what our demand is, which has obviously changed significantly here in the last year. You know, Matt, we've got to t- chat a little bit about the livestock markets. We did have a heck of a rally today in both live and feeder cattle. Um, do we expect this to continue? I know live cattle are getting right back up there near where their highs were before that sell-off two weeks ago. Is there enough demand out there to push them further? You know, I think the demand's pretty darn good, first of all. You know, and then you, you hear about uh, you know, uh, China stepping in and buying uh, Brazilian beef. And, the, yeah, they're not buying uh, U.S. beef, but Bottom line is that beef that's going on, uh, the world market is getting purchased, which in essence, uh, where the Brazilians are selling, that's going to open up a market for someone else, for instance. Uh, I've said all along from a protein standpoint, I feel like you've got value long term. But for I guess to answer your question, no, I'm not bullish right in here. I mean, I've been telling producers, if you bump back on some of these old highs, I'd certainly be rewarding the market. You know, I don't feel like we're going to be able to to rally substantially here this time of year, uh, I guess I have uh, I, I have uh, some reservations as to thinking that we would go a whole lot higher than what we're looking at right now. But, you know, cattle on feed, pretty decent-sized number this last week, uh, released on Friday. To me, I have a hard time thinking that we're going to rally substantially. I was surprised that we moved as much as what we did today, to be honest. And, Matt, finally, when you look at the lean hog market, there is still a huge premium built in some of those deferred contracts. I mean, you look at the decent April spread, there's $14 in the deferred contract. Are we going to see some sort of price? What's the word I'm looking for when the prices uh, start to move into a closer number or what's going on there? Well, I still feel like there's an assumption that, uh, you know, you're going to see a significant amount of, of demand for pork, you know, obviously if the Chinese have got a 40% reduction or whatever the number ends up being, they're going to have that thirst for pork still, whether it be U.S. pork or something, but that, in my opinion, that's where most people are assuming that they're going to come to 
but you know this this hog market. Uh, I don't look for the nearby months to rally up towards your deferreds, if that's what the question is. Uh, but as far as the deferreds are concerned, I, I, I expect that you're still going to see a fair amount of carry in the market like that. Uh, and I don't really look for those to sell off anytime soon. Uh, personally, I'm not super friendly, but at the same time, uh, I guess I can't get too bearish right now because I, I've got to think on down the road somewhere near we're going to see just a significant sales hit the books. Uh, I hope that's what we see, uh, and I, I guess I kind of expect it. All right. Well, Mr. Matt Bennett from eggmarket.net, tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you and follow you for further insights. Yeah, they just go to our website. You know, they can uh, look me up and the guys that I do business with. Uh, you know, pretty easy to get all of our contact information off the website. Perfect. Listeners, check that out, agmarket.net. Matt Bennett, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, again, actually a big, big thank you to Matt who uh, stepped away from his family vacation there to chat markets with us. And speaking of that, I just want to remind everyone that Mike and I are also going to be taking a vacation from the podcast on Thursday and Friday to enjoy that time with our families. And we hope that you do as well. Absolutely, Delaney. I'm kind of looking forward to Friday not being able to not having to do the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I like to go Black Friday shopping on the day after Thanksgiving, so I will absolutely be looking forward to that. Fantastic. Listeners, if you want to do any Black Friday shopping of your own, you can find all sorts of great gift ideas by tuning in to the Ag News Daily Podcast. You can hear all of our past Tech Tuesday episodes, for example, by visiting our website at agnewsdaily.com. Get something techy for that farmer in your life. And uh, while you're there, be sure to check us out on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for Ag News Daily in all three places, and we'll be there. With that, Delaney House, we let our listeners go. Let's let them go. 